over the next several weeks, um, and so I want to um, orient you to that. Uh, the, that uh, those those series of passages. We're not going. It's not going to be exhaustive, but it will be kind of highlighting. Maybe you need to turn me down a little bit. Highlighting um, uh, some of the some of the key points in in Joseph's life. And Andrew made a joke earlier about how I kind of really like the church calendar, and I do like the church calendar. It's true. Um, what we mean by the church calendar is we celebrate Advent. You hear us talk about Advent and Christmas, and actually Friday was this uh, day we call Epiphany. And then we're now we're entering into kind of the season right before Lent, where we have the 40-day period that leads us up to Easter. And one of the reasons I really just I love this church calendar is because it's, it's very historical. It was started back in the 3rd century, 4th century, um, by the early church fathers as a way to simply follow the life of Christ. That was the whole idea behind it, was that we just follow the life of Christ. It's a way that not only in our daily lives, but in our annual lives, we can follow Christ and, and his life, his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. It's a way in which we do that. And I love it, and we do this as a church at Village Church, and I really love it because it, it reminds me of exactly what we've just celebrated at Christmas. It's that God loves us so much that he became one of us. And it, it reminds us that he became human, <laughs> that he can relate with you no matter what you're going through right now. In this moment, all of you come in here with all sorts of different experiences from this week. Maybe you're looking forward with anticipation and hope this new year. Maybe you're coming out of 2022 and it's just been a lot of hardship. No matter what, we have a God who can identify with us in our human experience. And that's one of the reasons I love the Christian faith. And I think that the Christian faith is so good and so beautiful because it actually tells us a human story. <laughs> God became human. And that's one of the things that, you know, I, if I were to stand up here and tell you, if you're dealing with suffering, right, a propositional truth that, well, well, you know, God is present with you in your suffering. If I were to tell you that, that's true. It's good to hear. But what you really need is you need to hear stories of people who identify with you. In my suffering, the most help I've received is when people kind of say, you know what? Yeah, me too. I've, I've dealt with the same thing. Right? That's when you really feel connected with, and you really feel helped. It's like, oh yeah, you are with me in my suffering. And the same thing is true with God. It's not just that the, that the Christian faith is some propositional truth. God is present with you in your suffering. No, God enters into your suffering and suffers with you. That's the beauty of the Christian faith. You know, often we want to hear a story of someone who's dealt with suffering. We want to see how they struggle or how they doubt and how they've dealt with it. We need stories, in other words. We need stories of people who have suffered. And we have a story <laughs> of Jesus. Not only that, we have lots of stories before Jesus of real people who had real difficulties in real life. And that's, as we get into um, the story of Joseph, that's what I want us to uh, to see. I'm going to uh, ask uh, Wes, will you please put up the quote? We're going to start with a quote, and then we'll, we'll dive into the text here in a second. This is a quote from uh, Rowan Williams. He's the former Archbishop of Canterbury for the Church of England. And track with me here for a second as I read this quote. He says, if the heart of meaning is a human story, a story of growth, 
conflict, and death, every human story, with all of its oddity and ambivalence, becomes open to interpretation in terms of God's saving work. Once we have stopped drawing a distinction between compromising activities and spheres, in other words, the family, the state, the individual body or psyche, and pure realities, the soul, the intelligible world, the spiritual life becomes a much more complex, demanding, and far-reaching matter. Spirituality becomes far more than a science of interpreting exceptional private experiences. It must now touch every area of human experience. That's what I want to highlight. Spirituality touches every area of, of human experience. The public and the social, the painful, the negative, even pathological byways of the mind, the moral, the relational. And the goal of the Christian life becomes not enlightenment, but wholeness and acceptance of this complicated and muddled bundle of experiences as a possible theater for God's creative work. That was a, that was a lot, but I'll, here's what I want you to catch from that. Is that it's not just that there's particular areas of your life that God is interested in helping to enter into. It's all of it. <laughs> it's all of life discipleship, right? All of life discipleship, that all of your life is a theater for God's creative and saving work. That's actually what we're going to see when we enter into the story of Joseph. All of your life, right? And then really what, what my hope is is that we would all begin to kind of see the scope of how God is at work in your own individual lives and in the world. That the theater of your own individual lives is a place where God wants to do creative and saving work. And the whole world <laughs> is a place where God wants to do creative and saving work. And that's actually what we see in the story of Joseph. This is what I want to invite you to see in the life of Joseph. First, to see the story as a theater for God's creative and saving work. And then second, to see your life and this world as a theater for God's creative and saving work. So let's enter the story together and immerse ourselves in it. This is the first episode we're going to enter into. So there are characters you're going to be getting to know and events that are going to begin to unfold, just like any other story. So let's read this passage together, Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, Zilpah his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, now Israel, this is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he had told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. 
But when he had told it to, to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this uh, new year. Thank you for the truth that you are at work in your world and in our lives in ways that we can't see. That you are faithful, you're loving, and that you are good. Help us to be able to see and interpret even more your goodness and your mercy and your love in our lives and in this world. I pray that this passage would help us. Help us to see how you are at work in the life of Joseph. Would you give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that receive your goodness and your love with faith. Pray that your word would be the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the first episode in this series. Anybody start a new show over the Christmas break? Maybe you watch the first episode of the show. I know there were some uh, shows my family and I finished watching, and then there were shows, many shows that we began watching, some shows that we began watching together. And as first episodes go, you get to know the characters of the story, but not only that, you get to know the conflict, right? What's going to happen, the conflict that's going to drive uh, the series. And the story of Joseph wastes no time on either of these introductions. And as we would expect with first episodes, more questions are raised, right, than are answered. (laughs) The idea of the first episode is to raise questions to get you to engage in the story of what's actually happening here. So one of the things that this first episode shows us, I don't know if you heard it, there's a lot of loving and there's a lot of hating. (laughs) Just like life, right? Just like your life. There's a lot of loving, and there's a lot of hating. And this is theater. This is theater in general, but it's especially theater for God's work, where there's loving and there's hating happening. Real people loving and real people hating each other. Let's look at all the love. That's really what I want to explore with you, is the love and the hate. So let's do that, let's, and what we're supposed to do with that. So if we look at Jacob, let's, we're gonna, he's the first character we're introduced to, And we see kind of he's this example of God's work in the midst of all of our loving, actually. Look back at verse 1 with me. We're introduced to Jacob. And here's what you need to remember about Jacob. You remember, if you guys remember, kids, do you remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? These are the big characters in the book of Genesis. You've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph is where we end the book of Genesis with. And remember Kids, if you can help me here, he was a twin. Who was Jacob's twin brother? Esau. <laughs> Esau, right? And what happens during the birth of Jacob and Esau? Anybody remember? Jacob is grabbing the heel of Esau, right? He's grabbing the heel of Esau. And that's pretty much the story of Jacob's life. He's always trying to grab at something that's not his. <laughs> if you would think about the life of Jacob, he's always trying to grab He's trying to grab, what did he grab that wasn't his? That was also Esau's. He grabbed the blessing, right? At the, very end, at the very end of Isaac's life, 
when Isaac was on his deathbed, and Isaac was intended to give the blessing to Esau. Rebecca gets in on the drama, and they, they create this diversion, and Jacob comes in dressed like Esau, and instead of blessing Esau, Isaac blesses Jacob. Jacob is somebody who was always grabbing at something that wasn't his. He was, that's the kind of person Jacob was. He was the favorite, if you will. He was the favorite son who received the blessing. He's the kind of guy who would wrestle with an angel just to get a blessing. That's who Jacob was, right? He's that kind of guy. He's like, I, I'm going I'm to grab at what I want, even if it's an angel. <laughs> I'm going to grab at what I want to get it. That's the kind of person Jacob was. And we enter into this story, so we learn a little bit about Jacob the father. He's living in Canaan. And here's what we need to remember about the background. Go with me for a second here. Here's what we need to remember. The, this is the first episode. We're being introduced to characters. We're also being introduced to the background and the setting of the story. So what we need to know about the background and the setting is this, that God had made a promise to Abraham, which was, who was in the line of Jacob, right? He made a promise to Abraham that his family would be a blessing to the world and that he would give his family land. And so Jacob is living in that land right now. He is living in the land of Canaan. He, but Genesis is full of threats to that promise. That promise that Abraham and his family and his descendants will be a blessing and that they're going to have land. But Genesis, just like any good story, is filled with threats. Threats that have happened and threats that will happen. So look, let's keep going here. We're going to be introduced now to, uh, now that we know a little bit about Jacob, we're going to be introduced to his son, Joseph. Look at verse 2 and 3. So Jacob, I'm sorry, Joseph is 17 years old. It's kind of crazy. I have a son who's 17 years old. This is crazy. He was pasturing the flock when his brothers, went, sorry, um, he was pasturing the flock with his brothers, and he comes home just like any brother would and with a bad report. Kids, have you ever given a bad report of your brothers and sisters to your parents? Look, look at what they did. They did something bad, right? Do you see the family pattern here? Joseph is trying to grab, it, so he's trying to grab his father's attention. Look, I'm better than them. Do you see this family pattern? Joseph is much like his father, Jacob. He's trying to grab his father's attention. He's trying to grab, like father, like son. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. He loved him so much more that the passage tells him he gave him a robe that showed his favor. What was the significance of that robe? Very simple, that Joseph was his favorite. It is as simple as that. And this is like parenting 101. I have two kids, and we just celebrated Christmas, right? For those of you who have kids, more than one, if you have more than one, you give them equal gifts. If I were to give one of my children more gifts than the other, then what would happen? There would be a little bit of a dysfunction in our family, right? No, you, it's just common sense. You give the same amount of gifts to your children. Even in biblical times, this is just human nature. If you love one child more than the other, it's going to cause problems. <laughs> it's going to cause problems. This is a, a common sense story. And maybe it indicates something is up, right? Something's up with, with Jacob. Or maybe it indicates that something's up with, when that happens, with when you show more love to one child than another. Maybe that you need to feel the love like that. 
I mean, it's totally good and right to love your children and to love one another, but this is a recipe for dysfunction when we love something or someone more than we should. And really, that's kind of what I want to move into now. It seems like Jacob is really putting a lot of love on Joseph. Why? Why is he saying, him, yes, here's, your, here's the robe. Have this, take this, you're my favorite. Why? Why would Jacob do that? Remember, uh, and I want to kind of like invite us to see our own lives in this, right? I want to invite you to see your own life in this because I really pride myself in trying to be fair. Even with, like trying to be fair with, in relationships that I have, I try to be fair. I try to, be, to, to not show favor. I try to be equal, especially in, with, my, with, with my kids. Um, but sometimes, even in, in all that attempt to be fair, Sometimes I can love too much. Is that possible? To love something too much? To love someone too much? Is that possible? Well, think about this for a second. Maybe this is a story where we can relate with Jacob. There's real people in real lives. We, we have those lives. We all know what it's like to love something too much. Maybe more than we should. If you think about the people or the things that you love, why do you love them so much? Maybe for lots of good reasons. Maybe even think about your own spouse or your own children. Why do you love them so much? For lots of good reasons. But do you love them so much that it causes dysfunction in your life or in the lives of others? And I think we can kind of point right back to parenting nowadays, where sometimes we love our kids so much. We put all this love on them, all this Pressuring, pressure on them. Maybe we don't show favoritism, or maybe we do, but more likely what we do is we put the children, our children at the center of our lives, and we say, you're everything. We hold them up, and we put all this love on them and put a relational weight on them that they can't handle. And by the way, that happens with spouses too. <laughs> Some of the best advice I heard was from a counseling friend of mine who simply said, your spouse relationship and your relationship with your kids can't handle all the weight you're trying to put on it. It's not meant to hold that weight, right? This is what we call misdirected love. We all have love, but that love is meant to be directed and in relationship and in communion with God. But so often what we do is we misdirect that love and we put it on our kids or we put it on our spouse, and that's what causes dysfunction. And actually we're seeing that here. There's, there's some dysfunction that happens. Parents can put so much of their identity in their children. Spouses can put so much of their identity. We can put so much of our identity in our work. Put so much of our love. What happens is that's misdirected love. It's like this quote from, uh, I I watched this movie like once, but I remember, you ever have a movie you watch and it's like, I I don't really remember the plot of it a ton. I mean, it was like all these stories colliding. This movie called Magnolia. Um, But there's a character named Donnie Smith and see if you can relate to this quote that he says. He says, I don't know where to put things, you know. I really do have love to give. I just don't know where to put it. <laughs> you ever felt like that? You have love to give, but you just don't know where to put it. That's so much of actually what sin is. We put our love in the wrong places. We misdirect it. When that love is meant to be primarily in relationship with God, in us, we misdirect that love 
and it is meant to be, or that is meant to be between God and ourselves. We have love to give. You have good love to give. That's a good thing. But sometimes we just don't know where to put it. And that's where the dysfunction occurs in all of our loving, right? <laughs> and you're loving with your family lives. You just came out of Christmas break. Some of you may have really enjoyed time with your family. Some of you may have, it's been a, it was a hard time to go visit family. Because there oftentimes, I would bet that there's dysfunction in all of our families at some level where that love gets misplaced or misdirected, right? There's too much love or there's too little sometimes. That love is when we put it on people and things that were never meant to hold it, right? Because that love was ultimately, only God himself can hold all the love that we have to give. So we see this dysfunction here in the very beginning of Jacob and Joseph and his brothers. Because Jacob grabs at this blessing, Joseph wants it, and all this love that gets misdirected. So now we turn to Joseph and the brothers, the rest of the passage here, and looking at this theater of God's creative and saving work of love and hate, and this is where I want to kind of explore God's work in the midst of our hating. That's kind of a strong word to say, right? It's like hating. But there's a lot of hating going on in this passage. So we have to kind of dig in and see what does it mean. And I would venture to say that you and I have a lot of hating that happens in our lives as well. So this dysfunction unfolds in the story of Joseph when his father puts all of his love on on Joseph, and the conflict begins. Let's look at verse 4. Just as we had expect, of course, when the brothers saw Joseph in his robe and the love that Jacob had for him, what happens? Of course, they hated him. They hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. And that seems like enough of, you know, that seems like enough of a recipe for disaster, but there's more. Look at verse 5. Joseph had a dream. (laughs) If it wasn't enough that he, his father gave him a robe. He's like, hey guys, I had this dream. Do you want to hear it? All of you guys are going to bow down and worship me. <laughs> what if somebody came and told you that? What if your brother came and told you that? would be like, excuse me? We're gonna, I'm going to bow down and worship you? Are you kidding me? But that's, the, that's, what, that's what the dream is. And let's stop here for a second. Um, let me ask you about this is because so much of, of Joseph's story is about dreams. Dreams. What do you dream about? I don't, and, and I don't actually even mean night dreams. Like, I mean, do you, raise your hand if you have crazy dreams at night that are just incredibly hard to interpret. Yeah. What? This other world, you know. But I'll, let's not, not talk about that because that's too hard. Let's talk about daydreams. What do you daydream about? Like, what do you sit around and daydream about? I, I, I'm a daydreamer. I d- daydream a lot. Um, and I'm going to be a little vulnerable here and tell you a little bit about my daydreams. I think some of you know I, I love sports. I played high school basketball. It's been 30 years since I've played high school basketball. And I still dream. I'm, I'm about to be 45 years old this, this year. And I still dream of hitting the winning shot for the NBA championship game. Why do I do that? (laughs) I don't know. No, I'm serious. Could you tell me why? (laughs) I don't know. Why do I do that? I mean, eight years ago, I went to my orthopedist because I had a a knee surgery when I was in high school. He told me to retire from recreational basketball. (laughs) 
<laughs> eight years ago, and I still dream about hitting the winning shot in the NBA championships. But, but what does that tell you about me? And maybe this tells you about yourself if you think about your own dreams. Dreams can be like that, right? Dreams can be like that where, and listen carefully, we are at the very center of our own dreams. I am at the very center of my own dreams. And it's all about me. Everybody and everything else revolves around me. <laughs> Do you have dreams like this? Our dreams are a theater, if you will, for our own work and our own desire. It's where I can be this, the writer of my own script, of my own story. That's what my dreams are. It's, it's me creating a theater for my own, my own play, my own desire. My own play, I should have said no pun intended, my own play, get it? Hitting the winning shot, come on guys. <laughs> my own play. Now, let's think about Joseph's dream for a second. Joseph's dream was definitely different, but actually, and we'll see that more clearly later, but think about for a sec second when his brothers heard him tell the story. It's very much like our dreams. They're like, wait a second. This is, he just is all about himself. Look at verse 7. He had a dream, again, like I said before, he and his brothers were binding sheaves. We read it earlier. The, his sheep rose up and his brother's sheaves gathered around and bowed down to it. They were, in other words, they worshipped it. And then when he told them, they were like, you've got to be kidding us. You did not just say that. They hated him even more, right? They hated him even more. And if that wasn't enough, he had another dream. Let's go keep on, just, get, just go with the text here. He told his brothers and his father this time, and look at verse 9, in, in this dream, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to him, which not only meant his brothers were going to worship him, but also his father and mother. So not only are his brothers like, wait, what a second, his father, Jacob's like, time out. Wait, we're supposed to worship you as well? And then in Jacob, and, and, but his, Jacob in, uh, it says in verse 10, Jacob told his Joseph that this was enough dreaming. <laughs> you can't do this anymore. But he still held on to it in realization that something could come of it while his brothers turned to hatred and jealousy. His brothers' hatred turned into jealousy. Joseph seems like a person that is easy to hate. Right? And you may be like, well, if I were to ask you um, about can you relate to this, maybe you're like, well, I don't know. Let me tell you a story uh, that I already told you I'm a basketball fan. I play basketball, coach basketball. Um, and I watched basketball, like, especially as a child growing up. And there was a, a documentary that came out about 10 years ago or so called I Hate Christian Leitner. You ever seen this documentary? You've seen it. Yeah, you're like, yeah, of course you, of course you have. Yes, yes. Well, okay, so if you remember this story, it, it actually explores not just why people hated Christian Leitner. Christian Leitner, for example, he, he played for... Duke University in the early 1990s, okay? So this documentary explores not only why people hated Christian Leitner, but why we hate in general, what it is about people that we love to hate. And Christian Leitner was, is still considered one of the greatest college basketball players of all time. And he played for considerably one of the best universities of all time. And at the time, he was actually considered one of the best-looking guys in the game at the time, but not only was that true, he knew it, and he wanted you to know it too. He flaunted it, and that's why everybody 
hated him. And that's what this documentary explores. Why did they hate him so much? There's certain, you know, when we think about this for, 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 for a second here, we think about a guy like Christian Leitner or a guy like Joseph. These are people we love to hate. And I'm, I'm going to be kind of honest with you here. I'm in a moment where I'm a lifelong Georgia Tech fan. So tomorrow I've got to deal with a team that I hate going to the national championship. Dare I say that. So tomorrow I will be doing my own bit of hating during the game, while I know a lot of you will be loving, right? Love and hate. I literally grew up on the mantle of my, my childhood, right, right above the TV, was this old book from the 1960s labeled Clean Old Fashioned Hate, which is the rivalry between Georgia and Georgia Tech. So it was something I looked at every day was this idea of <laughs> hating, right? Rivalries, right? Why do, I, why do I hate Georgia so much? Why do people hate Christian Leitner so much? Why did the brothers hate Joseph so much. We hate those people that get all the attention and flaunt it when they get it. Remember, we are invited to see our lives as a theater of, for God's creative work, and especially in the midst of our own hating. And this is a story that we can relate to, real life with people with real experiences. And maybe, you know, you know what it's like to hate somebody. And if you don't Think about, if you think about all the people or things that you hate, why do you hate them so much? Why do I hate? And really, if we think about this, don't hear I'm not saying, there are, there are certain things in this world that we should hate. Think about that for a second. This is just like I talked about with misdirected love. Our hate can be misdirected too, right? What are we supposed to hate, really? Are we supposed to hate people? No, of course not. What are we supposed to hate? Sin. Evil injustice, brokenness. These are things that we're supposed to hate. So our hate really is supposed to be directed to somewhere, but it gets misdirected because of our own jealousy, because of our own selfishness. It gets misdirected. And that's what happens with Joseph and his brothers. His brothers have a misdirected hate. Think about that for a second. For you, maybe there's something you're jealous of. Why can't I, you know, maybe you have to ask the question, why can't I live with this person? What's going on in me that causes my hatred and jealousy? And go with me for a second. Here's kind of where I want to close with this. Again, this is this idea of God's creative and saving work in our own lives with our love and with our hate. Why do we love too much and hate too much? What is it about that? Maybe we hold fast to our dreams more than we realize, and we want to direct our own lives, and we think that we will be happy if everybody just would line up with our own plans, right? We want to be the writer of our own script for the theater of our own doing, and we get frustrated when people don't act the way they are supposed to act in our own plans. Is that not right? <laughs> That's the source of a lot of our loving and hating, right? You're doing what you're supposed to do. I love you. You're not doing what I want you to do. I hate you, right? And what does that indicate? It indicates that we are the right, we want to be the writers of our own stories. We want to be our own, the, the playwright in the theater. If that person would just love me back, or if that person would just go away, maybe when we love and hate too much is an indication, like I said, that we're trying to direct our own lives. This is just the first episode in the life of Joseph. 
and we're already being introduced to real people, real difficulties, and real conflict. And like I said, this is uh, the big idea is to see this story as a theater for God's saving work. And one of the things, when you, whenever you read an Old Testament passage, a good question to ask is, how does this story prepare for Jesus, right? How does this story prepare us for Jesus? When we ask this question, we see a lot of loving, we see a lot of hating. And when, we, when Jesus came into the world and he was announced as the Messiah, think about this for a second, he was announced as the true king of Israel, as the savior of the world. And even at his own birth, when, that, when, when he came into the world, and this is what Epiphany is about, right, the story right around Jesus' birth, Matthew chapter 2, what happens? Is he just widely accepted? No. He is resisted. He's even hated, even at his own birth. Herod plans to try to wipe him out. He is met with hatred and resistance. King Herod sought to have him killed. And even when he began his ministry in Luke chapter 4, if you go there, what happens? He stands up, he reads the scroll from the prophecy of Isaiah, and he says, this is me. I'm the one who's come to set the captives free. And what happens? They want to kill him. He's met with hatred. They're like, what are you talking about? This is, no, you're not the Messiah. Jesus enters into a world filled with hatred and resistance towards him. He proclaimed <laughs> that he was this, this prophet, and he was almost killed. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, he challenged people to turn away from the things that they loved and put their faith in too much. His whole ministry was about, look, no, love me. Turn and repent. And some believed, but many hated him. And that hate is actually what delivered him to the cross. That hate is what drove him to the cross. The moment where all the action is leading to in the theater of God's work and flowing from is that work on the cross where when he stretched out his, forth his arms, he took all the hate of the world on himself. And he poured out all the love. That's where the climax of the story is. The theater of God's saving work happens on the cross where he takes all the hate of the world and he gives all the love. So friends, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep on loving and hating because that's life. That's what we do. But in the midst of it all, may we, just, may we see just how futile it is. <laughs> and what do I mean by that? Directing your own life. That's futile. It's futile when you try to be the writer of your own story. And I invite you to open yourself up to see the scope of God as the writer of the great story who is, has you as a character in it. And may you surrender to Jesus, the true king, who can take all of our love and give us all we need. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are a good God who ultimately loves us so much that you entered in to this crazy world of loving and hating and you have redeemed it through your work on the cross. You have taken all the hate of the world and you have suffered death, but you've been raised to new life to give love to the world. May we receive your love and may we submit to you as the writer of our stories Thank you that you are, you care to write a good ending where we are 
saved by your work. Thank you. Help us to submit to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're going to continue to worship now through, uh, through our offering. This is a time for us to celebrate the fact that we have a good